Welcome to the Show Me Literacies podcast with Dr. Shay Kirkhoff and Dr. Cassandra Walker-Suggs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Show Me Literacies podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Suggs, and I'm here today with my great friend and colleague, Jalene Strecker-Sayer, and Hello. she's going to talk about all kinds of great things, right, Jalene? Yes, ma'am. Jalene, let me tell you, is a phenomenal educator. She works with our English as a second language students, and she is one of the most creative women I have ever met. That was my field before I became an uh, administrator, and I was just blown away at all of her work. And you're going to be blown away, too, when you hear how she reaches and engages and stretches her students. So let me tell you a little bit about Jalene. Jalene is a National Board Certified Educator and English Language Development Specialist who supports K-12 through multilingual refugee students and their families. And support she does, let me tell you. Jalene, welcome. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really excited to be here and really enthusiastic about this topic. Thank you, Jalene. I am so happy. When I, when I thought about when I wanted to interview for someone for ESOL, I knew immediately who it was going to be. Oh, and it's you. you. Because not just ESOL, as a teacher in general, but you just have such a special knack with our students. So we're going to jump right into that and how sure. you get our students to be prepared for high school and beyond. Yes. So she currently is at Rockwood South Middle School and she splits between other schools as well. What other schools do you work with, Jalene? I work at two other elementary schools that feed into the middle school. Perfect. So we're going to start with our first question. Jalene, can you please share with us how you got to this point where you have chosen to turn your focus solidly on rigor? Yeah. So it's funny that you say what you just said about uh, preparing kids for the future, because I really view my job as a teacher is not just to get kids to the next grade level, because I do work K through 12, but really to prepare them socially, environmentally, politically, and economically. Um, I want them to be in, let me try that again, to be socially economically, politically, and environmentally enfranchised adults is really what I'm trying to do here. Yes. So I thought a lot about how to help lift our underserved populations. And over the years, you know, I would read all the latest and greatest things. And I think, oh, I got to do this remedial program, or I got to include more of these re specific reading strategies, or I would build these kinds of programs to like, um, I was really interested in doing intrinsic motivation. So I would hit that through um, uh, helping kids raise their GPAs or how they read more at home. And I do all these pre-post surveys and like I never had any definitive results and it just seemed like none of it was working. And um, I know I'm not the only one who's tried these things because across the country we've been grappling you know, with different solutions on how to help these uh, lower level students and help of course fill the gap. And then I attended a John Antonetti conference where he shared his work on rigor and about, he had talked about how like only 8% of our school day focuses on rigor. And kind of from there, I started taking this really deep dive into advancing rigor and building knowledge. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I, you, I hadn't thought about that 8%. Yeah, that's, only that's, eight. That's not only eight. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I know. So on the back of that, what were your initial steps in making sure that you included more rigor and building knowledge? Yeah, so like for me, uh, I would say it was two steps. Like the first step, and this is the most humbling for anyone or for me for sure. The first step for me was to change my thinking by removing bias and judgment 
from these students as thinking of them as somehow remedial or deficient because that wasn't helping anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, and to be honest, I do and did hold and like judge families who didn't really well prepare their kids for school. You know, make you know we always know about this vocab gap and knowledge gap when kids start kindergarten, and I carried that judgment. And I know countless of other teachers who openly and quietly kind of harbor these same sentiments. Um, and again, so, so like I had to move, remove that tacit implicit bias that I had because I realized it was really contributing to oppression, which is obviously not good and what none of us want. And um, just by holding that perspective, I knew it was super counterproductive to change. And so that was the first thing I did. Um, really pay a lot more attention. And that one's super hard to admit to because my, my undergrad is in uh, civil rights history and my master's is in equity and education. So that is wow. a really hard one for me to really admit. But I'm, I wanna be open and honest about that because that's how I think change begins. And the second thing I did besides change my perspective in that way was change my perspective on literacy from skill, skill building or building skills to building knowledge and advancing personal understanding. So I hit it from that paradigm. And one of the reasons why I did that, one of the many reasons why I did that was, you know what, we're trying to push this family connection where we want kids at home to talk about school and want parents to talk about school. And I was thinking about, well, what do I want them to go home and talk about? And I know that when I work with kids and we focus just on skills, I know that they don't go, they never go home when, when their parents say, what did you do? They don't say, oh, I learned how to inference today or compare and <laughs> contrast. So I was like, but I do know that they go home because they tell me like, they'll come, go home with questions like, do you think humans have a right to colonize Mars or other planets? I mean, that's wow. what we want to, them to go home with. And this is what gets kids excited. This taps into their curiosity and it gets them connected to be lifelong learners which again, when you wanna enfranchise people, that's really a key piece in my point of view that you need to do. Oh, Jalene, so well said, and you're right. And we want the conversations to continue outside the classroom, right? Absolutely, and, and, and into other classrooms. And I mean, into yes. other classrooms and into homes, especially in homes where they're yes. still learning sometimes about the culture and about yes. things, how school even works. So to yes. have your children go home and talk more about what they're learning and helping their parents sometimes to learn these things yes, too. That's, exactly. that's fantastic, I love that. And I love when they come back with their points of view on these things, because that gives me a complete snapshot into their culture as well. And yes. it's super important for helping to teach them. And, and just not just teach them they teach me to just become a learning community you know I agree and I love the fact that your transparency of about um, the biases we all have them and the minute we can start recognizing them and trying to change that that's when we all grow right yeah and as absolutely. teachers and educators if we can't find what those are and fix them we are just doing a disservice to our kids yeah, so 100%. thank you for that thank you so 100%. much now I know Jillian you've mentioned to me before your your idea about viewing learning as filling potholes or building mountains. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so like as a country, we've been grappling a lot with different solutions to raise up. You know, you, you can put whatever name you want at lower level students, under you know, underserved, less motivated, whatever. But these students who, you know, who we have, they can come from low SES, whatnot, but we know that they come with unlimited strengths, talents, insights that are totally valuable, but often, uh, those are overlooked and underappreciated, I feel, and I know. And something that Carol Ann Tomlinson said to me, and I'm sure she said it to others too, I interviewed her like 12 years ago, but um, 
basically, you know, we don't track anymore, supposedly, or, you know, but, but there remains this silent practice of sorting kids by ability or perceived ability. And that still kind of continues. And in, and the less rigorous classes are often filled with lower. This is, I mean, this is what she and I discussed, whether it's like, are filled with lower socioeconomic children, predominantly black and brown faces, or they have many IEPs for various disabilities or labeled low IQ and get no services. But, and so like when you're imagining walking down the hallway and on one side of the hallway, you see these classes and they're typically either unusually ruly or unusually quiet. And then in the so-called average or above average classes, you hear, you're walking down the hall on the other side of the hall and you'll hear conversation and intrigue and, and maybe even some joy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, whether that's true or not from some, from your personal experience, I don't know, but that whole picture has always stuck with me. So instead of seeing these kids as having a deficit, um, and first of all, ESL in particular is not a deficit, it's an that's additive, right. but I'm referring, right. to, I'm referring to um, not just ESL kids, I'm referring to all students. Um, because I don't just focus just on ESL kids. Um, but I, 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 a lot of times, instead of seeing kids with like a deficit, like it's like a road with potholes that need to be fixed before you can advance their learning. It's like, you need to fill these potholes. First, you gotta find them and then you gotta fix them. And then you have to do that before you advance learning. And I feel like that's endemic in our educational system. And that is what's, and, and a lot of times when kids go into these things to fix their or get this remedial learning, a lot of times I feel like they pull kids out of science and social studies to work on this remedial learning. Yes. Instead of filling the deficits or or holes that need to be filled, I see kids as coming, we all come in at ground level, self-included, because I don't know everything, and we are building mountains of knowledge. So some mountains grow faster, some may grow taller, some, you know, than others. I know mine was always a little bit of a shorter, more of a hill. (laughs) I mean, it's just how my learning is, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm just that kind of a learner but I keep working on it, but that's okay. Cause we are, we are looking at learning as moving upwards and building mountains and a whole chain of them. And so it kind of connects us versus these random potholes that have to kind of be called out and filled. I oh, I that. love that. Did you create that on your own? The potholes in the mountains? You're so funny. Yes. I love <laughs> that. Yo, so you know, that's your next book, right? You know, you have oh, to gosh. about that. You're that so is funny. beautiful. Thank you so much. For that. And you explain it so eloquently. Thank you very Thank much. You. So I have another question for you. Can you offer some examples of how you have increased rigor? Oh my goodness sakes. Of course, of course. Um, Well, none of us want to redo everything. Uh, I certainly didn't. And so I just started small and simple. And that was pretty much the way I had presented on this topic uh, last month, I think it was. And I just call it uh, simple and easy, smart ways or something like that. I can't even remember anymore. (laughs) But it was really simple things that we could do to push rigor, push the rigor divide and advanced learning. And the easiest way for me is to just go beyond the basic recall questions um, that need to be filled with the right answer that we as educators already have in mind. And, you know, we talk a lot about how you need to have open, open, you know, open questions, but I mean, I really mean it. We, this is the key, one of the initial keys to really start forging people ahead and forcing them to kind of forge this new learning, asking things like, Why do you think that? Where have you heard that or saw that before? If you think this, then, you know, that science posing things in in the form of like a scientific question, how are things the same and different? How does this interrelate? Tell me more about dot, dot, dot. You know, it's like all these higher level questions. And if we're looking at the rigor scale, 
that's how we're going to push that rigor up from 8%. Easy, easy peasy in a lickety split, no joke. <laughs> and the coolest thing about this is that rigor, people get scared. Rigor's not difficult. A lot of us think rigor has to be hard. And so we shy away from asking these questions. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, you know, have these perceived expectations also about what lower level kids can do. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Some kids, you know, some of these kids might be remedial at decoding, you know, reading or something, but their thinking isn't remedial. Love and it. we need to tap into that by getting them into getting used to really extending their thinking, making claims, connections, providing evidence or other justifications. And, um, and because it wasn't so, and because I guess I wasn't expecting specific answers, I was actually surprisingly getting more responses. Wow. And, which was a beautiful thing. And, and more kids were participating. And as John Antonetti said, which I loved, and because even some of us teachers at the conference were hesitating to respond. And he was like, listen, you don't have enough information to be right, but you also don't have enough information to be wrong. Mm. So, I mean, that really gives you like this safe space to explore ideas and understandings and make connections. So that is kind of the thing. Ask bigger questions. But I do want to pause to say um, that I noticed in moving that direction that it is a little messy and that but that's also the cool part. Not everyone will come away knowing exactly the same thing exactly the same time. Um, you can definitely have some basics that you wanna make sure everyone walks away with, obviously, but the extension or building of knowledge is not cookie cutter. And so we are working with people here, not robots. And that's where real learning begins. That's where real learning looks like. And we have to accept that if we want to close these gaps and create socially, economically, politically, environmentally enfranchised adults, we have to consider this way of going about teaching, I think. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. I love the way you put that all together and you're 100% correct. I do have one more question for you, but I, I want to also stress you are right. Sometimes people think our ESOL students are remedial just mm -hmm. because yes. they are not fluent in English. Yes. But what they don't understand is that they are stellar top scholars in their own language. They're they just learning be. another language. That's it. Yes. They're just learning another language. A lot of times they are very proficient and above in their language. Mm -hmm. But when you come to a new culture and new language, it, it sets you back just by the nature of things. Yes. However, we cannot look at them as someone who needs to be placed on an IEP and there's nothing wrong with IEPs or needs to have certain circumstances put in place or talk slowly to yeah. oh, <laughs> or, loudly. or loudly. <laughs> yes. so, so thank you for bringing that up. Now, my last question for you today, and I wish you yeah. could last because we could talk forever is, can you yes. tell me some of the results of your findings from your rigor? <clears throat> oh my gosh. Well, unlike in the past, uh, where I usually would conduct like this class research stuff. I just did it on my own because I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm nosy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I would have pre-post surveys and things like that. But this time I honestly, I just started doing it. I didn't even think of it. I didn't even approach it like a project. I just started doing it. And I had, you know, if anybody wants a picture of John, you can Google it, John Antonetti's task chart. Um, but I would be happy to share that with anyone. It's you can it's online. It's not a secret. It's fantastic, and I can't stress it enough. But anyway, so so moving ahead quickly. Um, 
I don't have any solid evidence is my point, is, uh-huh. but I have three takeaways though that I okay. can share with your, with, your, with your listeners. One is that by raising rigor, I noticed, I witnessed an active engagement, a raise in active engagement, and not just with the high level kids who talk all the time, but with all the kids. And not only that, they were excited. They weren't just compliant, but they were clearly actively engaged. And in my point of view or my opinion, it makes it more equitable by leveling the playing field, by seeing everyone as the same and going up from this building knowledge. So to me, I felt like that was a key point. A second one was I actually had a student uh, teacher or teacher in training uh, from a local university come in. And as she left, she just stopped at me and she stared and she said, oh my gosh, I wish teachers would ask questions like that to me and build on my ideas and meaning like you just did. I would have learned so much. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, a 20 something, you know, I'm in my fifties, like (laughs) they know everything, you know, they're in tune with what's happening, you know? So I was just like really happy of that. And then moreover, I think the thing that really made me say, I'm in the right direction. I'm going to continue to explore this avenue of raising rigor and enhancing equity and perhaps even close the learning gap was because on my teacher evaluation after some 30 years of teaching, I got the highest scores I've ever gotten on my teacher evaluation instrument. So then that really made me go, wow, you know, I think I'm heading in the right direction. And hopefully, you know, I I will keep advancing equity and by building these kids knowledge. Anyway, Congratulations on that last note. Of course you did, Jalene. You are phenomenal. And and I don't say that lightly. You really are. And you make such an impact on our students' lives. That's why they cry when they leave you. And (laughs) that's true. It's true. That's why their parents are so dependent on you. They they know that you're taking good care of their kids. Yeah. Thank you so much. I could talk forever and ever. I have to say this though. Give a shout out. Jalene is in the uh, I'm so heritage leadership oh, yeah. sustainability EDD program. <clears throat> so she has a connection to Dr. Shea and myself, and I'm so proud of her. She's going to do a phenomenal job, and maybe we'll have her back again talking about that. And then again, when she graduates, and maybe she'll be a co co host of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. And I, I am so grateful for all the hard work that you guys are doing uh, and putting out into the world. It really means a lot and it makes a difference. So thank you. You, you are welcome. And thank you for saying that. Oh. All right, everyone. Until next time, I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Suggs, and you are listening to Show Me Literacy's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us next time on Show Me Literacy's podcast.